Revelation chapter 1, the apocalypse, the light to lighten the Gentiles, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We'd like to spend our time tonight in the final part of verse 9. Verse 9. We have spent a little time in that verse with regard to John and that he's our brother and he's a companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Christ, of Jesus Christ. He was in the isle that is called Patmos and this is the reason he is there. He has been banished. This is the reason. These are the charges that are held against him for the word of God, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's the charges against him. Now there's some discussion about when John was on the Isle of Patmos. Most theologians in our day like to think he was there around 90 to 96 AD. That fits their scheme of theology much better. But it would have been just as easy for him to be there during another Roman emperor's persecution during the 70s, 70 AD, and a little bit later. When he was there is insignificant. When he was there is insignificant. Why he is there is significant. And the vision that he was given is significant. And this great book, this letter of the revelation of Jesus Christ has been a comfort to God's people ever since it was passed out to the seven churches of Asia. It was for their comfort. It was also for their correction. Now, he had some things to say to those churches. Now, Brother Duane brought in a map of the area, Asia Minor, and it lists these seven churches on there and the positions that they were on a map and you can notice that it was a circuit. Uh, a preacher could travel in that day and time, could travel that circuit over a period of time. But this letter, or these letters, travel to these seven churches. Now, this letter, Revelation, was to benefit those seven churches, but it is also for our benefit, just like all the rest of the books of the Bible. If we go to the Old Testament, we find a number of them were written to Israel. I'm thankful that it was not just national Israel. And we find the New Testament, the church at Rome, Philippi, Colossae, the churches of Galatia. These were the recipients of those letters, but we delight and relish in them. The book of Ephesians was written to saints at Ephesus, but we delight in those books. So as we look here at the book of Revelation, John was uh, in the Isle of called Patmos. This is an island. And you can see on that map, the island, it's still there. I read this afternoon, it's about 35 miles in circumference. It's not a big island. And it was a place where political prisoners were banished. He was not the only one that was ever banished to this island. And it was for this reason he was banished. For the word of God and for preaching Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, I was in my little library at home and 
perusing. Sometimes I lose books. They're right there, but I lose them. And I found this. It's the Phillips translation of the Bible in the New Testament. And he had a statement that I wanted to read tonight. His statement about the theme of the book of Revelation. Now, I don't often read other people's works about Revelation because uh, many times their first statement puts them in error. But I want you to listen to this. This is his uh, thought on the theme of the book of Revelation. Even though it was written to people many hundreds of years ago, and it's for us to enjoy, he said this. Certain themes emerged distinctly from the, uh, for the modern reader's prophet. Number one, in this book, one of the themes is the absolute sovereignty of God and his ultimate purpose to destroy all forms of evil. Now, our Savior did that on the cross, and he's displaying it here in the book of Revelation. Now, we're going to see some odd critters. If you want an interesting article, read the article in Hawkers, and give me a minute, and I'll think of what it is. <laughs> I'll think of it. Uh, number two, the inevitable judgments of, of God upon evil, upon the worship of false gods, which include riches, power, and success. Number three, the necessity for patient endurance, the ultimate security being the knowledge that God is in control of history. Oh, I like that. He's in control. He's been in control of it this way, and he's in control of it this way. We don't know what a day may bring forth, but he does. He, as he thought it, it shall come to pass. The word is locus in Hawkers. Look up locus. He has a little blurb about the locus in the book of Revelation. And God is going to deal with them. Now, I read the book of Revelation with delight. I'm thankful that I don't have to read it with fear anymore. I was taught to fear it. But it's a book about God's sovereignty. It's a book about God's success. It's about his defeat of all evil and the glory of God and his church. He will plant it on high. It will be declared as the new Jerusalem. It will be our place of permanent refuge. There will be nothing else to, uh, to bother, but it will be our refuge. Number four, the existence of reality represented here under such symbols as New Jerusalem, apart and secure from the battles and tribulations of earthly life. I like a place of respite. Now, every day we go into battle. We go into battle. Everywhere we go, there's going to be people that are not going to like what you believe. They're not going to like who you believe. And it's a nice thing to have a respite, a place of refuge. Now, our refuge is Christ, but when we get together, it should also be a refuge. I enjoy going to church where I don't have to do battle there. I've been in churches where it was a battle to go to church because you knew you were going to do battle after you got there. And the worst part about it was business meetings. Despicable things. People get their feelings hurt. I just like it the way the Bible declares it. Let the men take care of it. Everybody's happy. And we don't have to vote on what to buy for the restrooms, do we? I was in churches where you had to do that. 
I'm thankful it's just taken care of and we don't have to do battle. My pastor said, when you take a vote, you're going to have a split. So save everybody a heartache. Don't take a vote. <laughs> All right. Apart and secure from the battles and tribulations of earthly life promises complete spiritual security to those who are the faithful to God and his Christ. And the glimpses of worship and adoration constantly offered to God and the Lamb are a kind of pattern of man's ultimate acknowledgement of the character of God when he sees him as he is. Now we're going to see John see in the Lord as he is, and John in his human form fell down as a dead man. Now that just tells us a lot about who he saw. It's the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to get to see him in this book as the Lamb, as they saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's a glorious, glorious journey to travel through this book. Now there are some things that we will not, I won't understand. You may, but there's so much that we can understand. So much we can be thankful for. And so many victories we can see God performing for his church and for his glory and for his praise. And the angels will praise him and so shall we. So we're just thankful. Now, looking at this verse 9, I'd like to finish the latter part of this where it says, It was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, I am convinced that John, when he was arrested and sent to this island, he did not know what was going to happen. He knew that he was being sentenced. Now, turn with me, if you would, over to the Proverbs. I'd like to read two verses in the book of the Proverbs, Proverbs 16 and Proverbs 21. We don't know the hand of God, how it moves us. We are like John. One day, he's sitting in his home, or he's out somewhere preaching, and someone comes along and arrests him. Now, most people feel it was the Roman authorities. It could have just as easily been the Jews, the religious people of the day. They're the ones that would betray God's people today, the religious people. I don't think that the government would have much interest, but religious people would report it. Now, he is there, and one day, he's arrested. And his judgment, his sentence, is to be exiled, to be banished to the Isle of Patmos. There's not going to be his friends there. There's not going to be his comforters there. He's an older man. He's close to, to at least 80, old. So he's, he's going to lose a lot. And I don't think he thinks that things are going to happen like they are. He's not, uh, he doesn't know ahead of time, just like we don't know. We don't know what God's going to do with us tomorrow. How he's going to move us to do what he wants us to do. And how he's going to get us in the right place at the right time. We don't know, but God does. Notice here in the Proverbs, Proverbs 16. I, just, I appreciate this about God when it's done. <laughs> in the process, sometimes it's just a pinch, isn't it? It's a pinch. I'll, I guess I'll go to my grave uh, thinking about that church I was pastoring when the Lord saved me 
And they asked me to get out of the church parsonage and gave me 45 days, and I just could not understand that. In retrospect, it was the best thing God could have ever done for me to get me out of that religion. Get me out. Now, it pinched, but he moved me out, got me free from that. And I wasn't hanging on to that. All right, Exodus, excuse me, Proverbs 16, verse 9, the scripture says, A man's heart deviseth his way. Isn't that the truth? We're going to make our plans. We're going to make our plans. We're going to make our plans. John's plan was to preach the gospel. His plan was to die in the harness. His plan was to preach Christ and him crucified as long as he possibly could. And who would want to interrupt that? Who would want to interrupt his purpose of preaching the gospel? This is what's held against him. The word of God and preaching the gospel. Who would not want him to continue preaching the gospel? God. He made his plans. I'm going to go out of this life telling people about Christ. Now notice the other part of that verse, though. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. All right, you've made your plans, but I'll move your feet. And we find that directly about John, and we find that about you, and find that about me, that we make our plans, but God moves the steps. And we just don't know why sometimes things happen as they do, but we know that John ended up on the Isle of Patmos just like he was supposed to so God could give him the rich blessings of his grace right there on that barren island. Now, turn with me to chapter 21 of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21 and verse 1, the scriptures say of this. The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. Amen. Isn't that good? We're just about to get us a new king here in America, male or female. We don't know yet. The king's heart. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Now, why did he act on that Roman emperor to pick on John? Why did God select now that he would raise up an emperor that would not only arrest John and banish him to this Isle of Patmos, but at the same time there would be hundreds and hundreds of Christians lose their lives and, as worse, be stuck in some Roman prison somewhere? But God moved on this Roman emperor, whether it was in 70s or 90s, we don't care, but he did move on a Roman emperor to move John from where he was to the Isle of Patmos. And the purpose or the arrestment papers were he's preaching Christ and him crucified. He's preaching the word of God. And that was contrary to the Romans, but it was also contrary to the Jews. They did not like him preaching Christ. Now, turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 17, we find that the disciples were preaching the name of the Lord Jesus. And they're warned about this. They're warned about this. They're, they're going to suffer arrest several times. Now, John, at, toward the end of his life, is banished. 
He's put out of the country. He's put on an island where he can't hurt anybody. And it's there that God gives him the book of Revelation. And we delight in God's great sovereignty as it's recorded in that book. We delight in God defeating all our enemies as it's recorded in that book. We delight in what we have in Christ as it's recorded in that book. We delight in the names that are written down in the Lamb's book of life, singing songs of praises as it is written in that book. We delight in what it says that all things were created by God and for God and for God's purpose as it's written in that book. It declares to us joy that we can go one more day knowing God Almighty is in control of history. Forward and backwards. He's in control of it. Now, notice here in Acts chapter 4, verse 17, that, but that it spread no further. They're being warned here. They're being warned here. It says, but that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Now, you can talk all you want to about religion, but when it comes about this name, Jesus, stop it. We don't want him mentioned. He's a thorn in our side. We thought we had taken care of him, but the word has got out that he's raised from the dead, and now it's worse than ever. Worse than ever. Now, chapter 5 and verse 28 of the book of Acts. Chapter 5 and verse 28 we read these words saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Whoa! <laughs> As these men preaching the gospel, Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the apostles preaching Christ, it really brought to bear. You intend to bring this man's blood up on us. You are saying that we're to blame for crucifying the Messiah. Shut up. Don't speak in his name anymore. Well, they got through warning him, and they got through warning him, and they got through warning him. Now, I, can, I just can feel they warned and warned and warned him. Finally, he says, you're going to Patmos. We're banishing you. We're putting you out there. Let's do this. Now, look in Acts chapter 17. This is what, what the religious world had said about the disciples, about John, about Peter, and others of the disciples. Acts chapter 17. I like this term. This is really an interesting way to say something. Acts chapter 17 and verse 6. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren into the rulers of the city, saying, or crying, these that have what? Turned the world upside down are come hither also. They've turned our world upside down. Those that were our friends are preaching Christ. Those that were, our, were following us and paying into the coffers are no longer doing it. They're following Christ. And they've turned the world upside down. John, we've warned you and we've warned you and we've warned you. Now you're exiled. You're banished. You can no longer be around the saints at Ephesus. Some people believe that he was living there in Ephesus, which would be a good place to live. <laughs> They're getting letters like the letter to the Ephesians. <laughs> And he's just saying, amen, brother, amen. So they banish him to the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for 
preaching Christ and Him crucified. Now, they turn the world upside down. That's what they said. This, these have come and they've turned the world upside down. Now, as I think about the Isle of Patmos and what took place there, this whole book of Revelation given to John while he's there, camping on the edge of the world, as much as I can read about it, it's a pretty barren place and not many inhabitants. He wasn't there on a mission journey. He's been banished. And God gives to him this book. Now, as we go through the Bible... Just a few brief thoughts from the Old Testament. Some of the greatest visions, some of the greatest views, some of the greatest aspects of God were given to people when they were in exile. Daniel, Daniel. Daniel's not home. He's in exile. And some of the greatest statements are made in the book of Daniel about God's sovereignty and he is not even where he wants to be. He is in exile. He's been taken into Babylonian captivity. And we read there, he does his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say, what doest thou? And that's in a letter by a man who's in exile in Babylon. Now, you know, we just kind of go along and say, well, he's just home having a good time when God gave him that. No, he's not. He's been taken into Babylonian captivity. And we read in, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel's in exile. He's been carried into captivity also. Would you turn with me over to the book of Ezekiel chapter 1 as we read this passage of Scripture? Some of the great statements that are made throughout the Bible, some of the great views of God that are found in the Word of God have been given to people when they are in exile, when they are away from the comfort zone when they're away from home when they're away from the warm fire when they're away from family when they've been taken forcibly if you please or have been pushed forcibly away some of the greatest views of God are recorded by those people as we read about Daniel Sovereign grace, sovereign grace, sovereign grace oozes out of the book of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some of the great outstanding statements of God's power and sovereignty are read in a book written by a man hundreds of miles away from home. Now, notice here in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. Now Ezekiel's in captivity too. He's been taken off into captivity. It tells us right there in verse uh, 1, Now it came to pass in the 13th, 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chebar, that the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. Now this kind of captivity as is as if you and I were taken to China or Siberia. These are not the friendly people. They came down and overthrew Jerusalem and carried off these hosts of people. They left the, the beggarly elements in there, and as we've heard, they intermarried with people they brought in. These people are taken away from home. Now notice what it says there. And I saw visions of 
Now, in that same chapter, read with me in verse 28. Verse 28. And this is almost what we read over there in the book of Revelation. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. Now, I'm just amazed. God would put this man out in captivity, banish him, if you please, from his homeland, and God would use him to be given this great statement of God's sovereignty. Don't fear, Ezekiel. You're where I want you. Don't fear, Daniel. You're where I want you. Don't fear, John. You're where I want you. Right where I want you. If we back up, we find that Elijah, he just had a great victory over the prophets of Baal. And that woman queen says, if I get my hands on you, I'm going to kill you. And he takes off a running. And he gets out in the wilderness and he says, oh God, I'm the last one. And in exile, God spoke to him in a still, small voice. And told him, I have thousands that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now go, go put your mantle on another man <laughs> in exile, away from his family and friends, and fearing for his life, he had a voice speak to him that no one else heard, a still, small voice. Isn't it interesting where God speaks to his people? Isle of Patmos, down in Babylon, away from home, places that God has spoken to his people in such clarity. Now, I just like the story of Moses, don't you? Moses is in exile. He's run away from Egypt. He's fearing for his life. And he marries a woman. And his father-in-law has sheep. And he's herding sheep for 40 years out there in the wilderness. Where was it God spoke to him out of a burning bush? Right out there in exile. We just go to that place and say, my goodness, Moses, God spoke to you out of a burning bush and told you to take your shoes off your feet because you're in holy ground. And you came before that bush. Turn with me, if you would, over there to the book of Exodus. It was in exile that Moses saw God at the burning bush, a bush that would not be consumed. Notice in here. God speaks to his people where he wants to speak to his people. And that's why John's on the Isle of Patmos. It's a barren place, but he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. It's a barren place, and he saw the great victories of God. He'd heard, he'd heard the words. You know, it was him that was assigned the care of Mary, the mother of Jesus. He'd heard the words. It's finished. He was one of the first ones after those ladies were to the tomb. He heard and saw the Lord Jesus Christ in his post-resurrection agenda. He was there and witnessed him going back to heaven. And now he's preaching Christ and him crucified and resurrected, and he's arrested and banished to the Isle of Patmos for the preaching of Christ and for the word of God. And he, I can't help but think, he was just a little bit down in the dumps. 
I know I would be. I'd be a little bit down in the dumps if I had to flee from my people and go out in the wilderness and got a sign herding sheep for 40 years. But it was worth it all when God spoke to him out of a burning bush. I'm thankful that God puts us where he wants us so he can speak to us as he wants to. That's his great sovereignty. He didn't keep him in a church. He moved him out. Now notice here, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. My goodness, having a father-in-law with that name is bad enough. But herding sheep for 40 years. <laughs> the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert. You know what that is? That's at the edge of the world. That's just out there. Uh, and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and was not, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now go. Uh, excuse me. I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Isn't it interesting where he got Moses' attention and how he got Moses' attention? And now he speaks. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside, could he do anything else? Lord got a fish hook in his jaw. He couldn't do anything else. He's attracted. He's attracted with such a sight. He couldn't leave. He's so interested. I just like that grace that draws us. And when it's all over with, we say, we wouldn't want to have it different. This is an irresistible call. Couldn't do anything else. Out in the backside of the desert, things have gone bad. He grew up in Pharaoh's household, one of the richest men in the world. And he tried to take the leadership of Israel on his own and spent the next 40 years herding sheep. And towards the close of that, you just think the man is just about to end his life. He is now 80 years old. And just about. Oh, I don't have long to go. And God shows him a sight that he's never seen. A burning bush that would not be consumed. Now notice this. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, Now notice this. He brings up the covenant. Brings up the covenant. Covenant of grace. I'm here because... Of an agreement with people. I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now notice what happens. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Moses is in exile, and great sight he sees. Daniel is in exile. What a great sight he sees. 
Elijah is in exile. And what a great voice he hears. And we find that even Jacob, he's told to get over there and don't you marry the Canaanite women. You go home. And on his way, he stops by a place we know as Bethel, house of God. And it's there he meets God. In exile, not at home. They're all, every one of these people are alone with God. God's made the appointment where they'll meet. He's determined it. I know, Moses, you're just out there herding those sheep because half of them are going to be yours someday. And a burning bush. He had an appointment to keep. And when he got there, he saw God. Now, John... Our brother is on the Isle of Patmos. He's on the Isle of Patmos for a reason, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's been one of those that's turned the world upside down and he's had the officials shake their finger in his face so many times saying, shut up, we're going to arrest you, we're going to put you, we're going to do you. We're going to... And finally, at the appointed time, an edict comes from Rome and says, arrest John and banish him to Patmos. And God says, hallelujah, we're going to speak to this man. We're going to share grace with him. This is the appointed time and the appointed way. I'm going to show him sovereignty like he's never seen sovereignty before. I'm going to move in him in such a way that I'm going to bring him in his saddest moment and make him the happiest man in the world. Most broken time. And I'm going to pick him up and show him glory. You're, I'm going to take you at your most vulnerable moment and I'm going to show you the glory of Almighty God. And that's what we get to see with him through his eyes as he writes about what's going on here. We're going to see through his eyes the glory of God as a man that apparently is broken until he's in the spirit on the Lord's day and God blesses him and blesses us with God's sovereignty and his glory on our behalf, knowing that when we finish this book, we'll not fear one enemy. And we'll exalt our God as if we'd been up to the burning bush. We'll exalt our God as if we'd been in the, uh, in the den of lions. We'll exalt our God as if we'd been in the burning, fiery furnace. We'll exalt our God as if the queen is after our hide. We'll exalt our God as if we are running away from our brother that we just stole our birthright from. We'll exalt our God because he has an appointment with us. Now, I'd just like to read a few verses that have to do with this, this uh, thought of for the word of God. I just, you know, the word of God is... is Quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's what he was using. He wasn't using some men's writings. He wasn't using the Torah, <laughs> the Jewish books. He was reading the Word of God, and he was taking the Old Testament. New Testament hasn't even been put together yet. He's taking the Old Testament and making Jews and Gentiles alike, saying, we're going to get rid of you. We're going to banish you and put you on the Isle of Patmos. Turn with me, if you would, again, in the book of Acts, chapter 11. Acts, chapter 11, as we think about, for the word of God, because he spoke God's message. 
spoke God's message. And I like what the Apostle Paul had to say. We're going to read this, but I just want to bring it up right now. Paul said, I didn't shun to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And that got him into trouble. Hot water. They were ready to kill him several times because of his view. Now, notice here in the book of Acts, chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, we read these words about the word of God. Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Scripture says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. My goodness. God's work of grace goes out to the Gentiles just like he promised in the book of Isaiah, just like he promised in the book of Jeremiah, the word of God going out to the Gentiles. And it was his word that went out to them. It wasn't a system of theology. It wasn't a book. It wasn't a practice. It wasn't washings. It, was, it wasn't all these state ordinances. The word of God went out to them. And this is what changes hearts, the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It was the word of God that, that John had been preaching, and that's why he, why he is exiled. Chapter 18 of the book of Acts, if you would please. Chapter 18, and there in verse 11, we read these words about the word of God. This is why he's been arrested. This is why he's been put out there. This is why this is his appointment. Now, God would have him do nothing else, and John didn't want to do anything else but preach Christ and him crucified. He'd had enough of the Jewish religion. He grew up in it. But now God had saved him by his grace, and he just wanted to preach Christ. And for that purpose, he's arrested and banished and put on the Isle of Patmos. And it isn't long he gets to see God in his glory, in exile. Now Acts chapter 18, verse 11, the word says, and he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now that would be an enjoyable meeting, wouldn't it? Paul continuing a year and six months, 18 months here, preaching, teaching the word of God. Now he just left an example. There's no other reason to teach anything else than the word of God. That's what he did. That's what his example is. And that's what God expects from his people. Word of God. That's going to bring banishment. <laughs> no. It's interesting. People who say they're Christians don't even want to talk about the Bible. No. They're, they just banish you. Banish you. All right. Now turn with me, if you would, over to the book of, of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. As we find the reason that John has been banished to the Isle of Patmos. He's preaching the word of God. He's preaching Christ and him crucified. He's been like his predecessors. In exile, seeing the glory of God. In exile, seeing his sovereign hand work out things according to his eternal purpose. In exile, seeing Christ and him crucified. In exile, seeing all the glory of God. In exile, there's no other reason to look anywhere else. Wouldn't it be worth being in exile for a few minutes every day? To see the glory of God. I think that's our prayer room. A place where nobody else goes. 
God puts us in exile so he can show us his glory. All right. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Being born again, not by corruptible seed. Corruptible seed only brings monstrosities. Just the hollow core. No substance. Just whitewashed sepulchers. That's what uncorruptible seed will do. Whitewashed sepulchers. Inside is dead man's bones. Now, if we go on, it says, but by incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, and that produces, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We know what we are outside. <laughs> Nobody has to tell us. You're a dead man. That's right. You're a sinner. You got that one? No, no argument there? But I got a treasure. I've got a treasure in this earthen vessel. Someday this jar will be broken. And I'll see him as he is. I've got this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, let's look at, going back, if you would, uh, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Preaching Christ and his resurrection. Boy, that got so many people upset in that time. And here we read Acts chapter 9. This is the chapter of Saul's conversion. Now, we're not going to read his conversion, but I just want to read the aftermath, the fallout. The fallout. My goodness, he dealt with fallout. Everywhere he went, he dealt with the fallout of God's conversion. Acts chapter 9 and it tells us there in verse 19, Acts 9, 19, And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Now, it hasn't been very long ago he was down there to arrest these folks. And now he's fellowshipping with them. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> he's seen a burning bush. He's heard a still, small voice. He's been up to a burning, fiery furnace and saw one as the Son of God. He has been put in exile, been arrested, stopped in his very tracks. I, I read something about those, uh, those Syrian army. They had their ears imposed upon when they heard that rumble of the army. Their ears were imposed upon. Matthew Henry said that about that Syrian army that fled and left all that food. They had their ears imposed upon. You know, Saul of Tarsus had his ears imposed upon. He had his mind imposed upon. He had his mouth imposed upon. He had his hands imposed upon. He had his feet imposed upon. God's imposed upon him for his own good. Stopped him in his tracks and arrested him. Now it says he's visiting with the brethren. Those just a few days earlier he was willing to arrest. He's having fellowship with them. Now notice what he has to say here. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. 
But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them that called on his, this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt in Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him. We're going to impose a real banishment on this guy. Now, he gets to live a number of years longer, but he's hounded most of his life. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Now, this is what Saul, Paul, has to say about this. And our brother John would just say, I vote for that. I raise my hand to that. I consent to that. I agree with that. This is what Paul had to say. And as John is privileged to write this book of Revelation, he is going to agree with every word of this statement because he's going to agree with the word of God that's given to him. I agree that God is righteous. I agree he has saved his people from their sins. I agree he is just and holy, and he will do as he will do. And he will save his people to glory, and he will judge the rest to hell. Now notice this, Acts chapter 20, and there in verse 27, the Apostle Paul, looking back, John could look back and say, I, I agree with this. If it hadn't been given to Paul to write, I'd have wanted to write it. If he hadn't have been the one the Holy Spirit used to pen it, I would have been the one that would have wanted to write this. He says there, wherefore, verse 26, wherefore I take you to record this day I am pure from the blood of all, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I didn't spare anything. I shared everything. Everything that was given to me, I shared it. I wrote to the book of, or to the saints at Ephesus. And old John's living there, according to the scholars. He's living over there. I can just, can you imagine John unfolding that original scroll that Paul wrote over there? And says, oh man, this is so good. <laughs> I wish I'd have wrote this book. <laughs> this is so good. I just agree with every word of it. It's so good. He's, he's there unrolling that. And he says, this is the whole counsel of God. I, and I've not shunned, I've shunned, I've not shunned to declare the whole amount too. I have, I could have, uh, and I might have given in if it wasn't for the upholding hand of Almighty God. Because the enemy didn't want this. They don't want God getting all the glory. They don't want God getting all the honor. They don't want God getting all the praise. They don't want God's sovereign sitting on his throne. Oh, yeah, he can create the animals. But when he gets down to saving people, and I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, that's going to stir up a hornet's nest. And it did, but they just kept preaching it because it's the truth. It's the truth. And John is banished for preaching that. There in Ephesus, I can just see him. Oh, thank you, Lord predestinated us according to the eternal and everlasting purpose of Almighty God. I raise my hand to this. I shout over this. And there on the Isle of Patmos, every word 
is fulfilled. I see a burning bush. I see a burning fiery furnace. I hear a still small voice. Everything that's written in the Old Testament about what happens when you're in exile is right here. And then we see him. I heard a voice. I heard a voice as many waters and turned to see it. And oh, the sight he got to see. He got to see everything that Moses did. Everything that Daniel did. Everything that Elijah did. And everything we're going to get to see. The same Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of his people, resurrected Son of God, cried it's finished and now sitting down. That's what he gets to see. Going over to the book of Revelation, he said there, I was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And the very next verse it says, and I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And I wouldn't trade this for anything. Oh, the food's out here is pretty poor. There's not much, much conversation out here. Television's bad. Can't get any radio. Newspapers are all liberal. There's nothing out here that's good. And I heard the voice. Almighty God. And I got to see him. And I did fear and quake. For I looked on my Savior. In all his glory. And we'll come back to that.